Darth Plagueis, the Dark Lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? Gabe became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. It's ironic. He could save others from death, but not himself. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Welcome to the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast, Star Wars Retrospective Series. This time we will do it together. Join Garrett. Ah, yes. The Negotiator. Matt. I was expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older. And Adam. He is like my brother. As they review each film in the Star Wars saga. I told you it would come to this. From George Lucas's original trilogy. Very good, sir. To the Ewok movies and prequels. You are a bold one. <laughs> All the way through the Disney sequels and side stories. Have you ever considered that we may be on the wrong side? The boys will look at each film individually and decide how this popular film series holds up. Oh, I see it. Oh, this is going to be easy. Search your feelings, podcast listeners. Reminiscence? Reminiscence. The Percolated Media Star Wars Retrospective begins now. <sighs> Always on the move. Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. Released May 19, 2005. Budget on this was $113 million. Box office $868.4 million. And this is directed by our buddy. Georgie Porgy, George Lucas. All right. Well, right after Attack of the Clones, we were being told the next one was going to be it. George Lucas was already at work on the script for the third movie. We knew from the beginning it was a trilogy, but the anticipation was huge for me. Adam, what about you? How much were you anticipating Revenge of the Sith? I was only in the way that I wanted to see how it was going to finish. I wanted to see the Battle of the Brothers. We knew that was coming, that had been talked about. But if it wasn't because it was Star Wars and a culmination of this series, I would not have been excited 
because of how let down I was with the film we discussed last week, and even The Phantom Menace. In the time since, my thoughts of that movie had just steadily gone down. So it's something that I was originally really excited for a trilogy. By the time we got to part three, I was going to see it, but definitely with some reserved thoughts. I was not nearly as hyped as I was for any of the other two. That's coming from somebody who grew up with the series, as I did. Matt, you have one person who's really anticipating it, one who was kind of anticipating it. Where were you standing in 2005 when Revenge of the Sith was coming out? I was only excited because it was ending, and I truly believed, as did everyone, that it was going to be the last Star Wars movie ever made. But I couldn't tell you that I was going to run to the movie theater to go see it, in large part because I didn't care much for Attack of the Clones. And as I've said multiple times, I'm not a Star Wars guy to begin with, especially at that time. But I thought this one, much like The Phantom Menace, had a really strong trailer. Mm -hmm. The initial trailer. thought the more they put out, the less excited I got because I felt like they were showing too much. Boy, isn't that prophetic almost 20 years later. But there were other things that I was far more interested in. I teased this on the last show. There was a Harry Potter movie coming out. To me, the arrival of Voldemort was more interesting than the return of Darth Vader. We had a Chronicles of Nardia movie coming out, which I was really excited for because I loved those books when I was a kid. Batman Begins. The guy who was doing Lord of the Rings was making a King Kong movie. There, there was a lot more areas of interest that I chose to place my curiosity into than Star Wars. There was definitely a lot more on the table, so to speak, by the time 2005 rolled around. The blockbuster was well-established. And, you know, I mentioned on the last show that when The Phantom Menace came out, it was kind of overshadowed by The Matrix. When Attack of the Clones came out, it was kind of overshadowed by Spider-Man. When 2005 rolled around, a lot of people, me included, were really anticipating this one, but my friend was really anticipating Batman Begins. That was kind of overshadowing it. So 2005 was a different world for George Lucas, and that was the question was, would this movie come out and rise above? Because let's be honest, I enjoy Phantom Menace more than most, and so I, I was defending that movie around that time, and Attack of the Clones, while I wasn't a huge fan of it, all I thought when, I, when we walked out, like I mentioned last week, we were getting set up for this one. So my anticipation was huge. I remember I got a gift card for Barnes & Noble for Christmas in 2004. And when I went to Barnes & Noble, I was excited because I was going to go get <laughs> the newly released Shawn Michaels autobiography. And when I go to pick up that book, I look and there's a whole table just full of Revenge of the Sith books. And this was the time I really dove into the Star Wars novels because people love those Star Wars novels and people are pissed that they're out of canon now. But the thing about it was if it wasn't from the creator, I didn't care. But when this was coming out, I was like, you know what? This is the last one. This will be my last chance to really dive into that galaxy. Let me go ahead and buy a few. I, I ended up buying like a making of book. I ended up buying a novelization of it. Out of the 10 books that were on that stand, I probably bought about five of them. <laughs> I was that excited for Revenge of the Sith. So May 19th rolled around. You damn well better believe that I was there that night. Matt, you mentioned the trailer. <laughs> I saw this trailer when it was played after the OC. The ratings were dipping around that time, and so they decided they were going to play the Revenge of the Sith trailer after that episode. And Wait, I, you mean I, the television show? Yes, the television show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, I love you. That's not, that's not a terrible thing. I mean, for the record, Adam Adam Brody would have probably been a better Anakin Skywalker than Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Adam Brody did lose out on a tremendous career. I agree with that. But that trailer showed up after that show was over, and oh my God, 
man, just so excited. All I thought about was Star Wars Episode Three until we went to the theater and the movie played. And also, I also want to say that the Revenge of the Sith video game was released probably a couple of weeks before the movie. And one of my best friends actually worked on that video game. And he was promising me, he goes, look, we've had meetings with the guy. He has learned his mistakes from Attack of the Clones. He goes, I guarantee you, I have seen the majority of the film because we've included clips in the game. And it is much better than we've seen before. And that got my anticipation up. So yeah, Revenge of the Sith, I was there. (sighs) All right. Well, with that being said, boys, our anticipation is out of the way. It is time to review the very last Star Wars movie to be directed by George Lucas. What do you guys say we dive in? Unless, Adam, you have anything else to add or Matt? There is one more piece of media we have to talk about before this movie was released. Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars series. Oh, yeah. That did more to get people excited that were not just the people who go because of Star Wars. Because that show is unbelievable. People who don't know, it is not the same thing as Clone Wars with the Dave Filoni era. This was done by the guy who did Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory. It was really the first piece of media to go into the Clone Wars within this canon. It's really cool. Uh, And I think it kind of got people excited in a way that would not have normally been interested because it fixed a lot of the... I shouldn't say fixed. It put at the forefront a lot of the things that people complained about with the previous movie. Obi-Wan and Anakin actually feel like they're friends. You have the introduction of General Grievous. You have Count Dooku as the main antagonist. So I think that did a good job of sort of filling in the gaps, but also... The finale literally ties into the opening of this movie. You can watch it as canon and kind of go right into this movie. It's only about, I don't know, 20, 25 episodes. And they're micro for the most part. Are they on Disney Plus or no? I believe that now on Disney Plus. Yeah, but okay. season one and most of two were literally like three to five minutes. The last season okay. bumped all the way up to like 12. So it's called the micro series because they were short episodes. It was like the little cartoon network, almost like bumper spots. That's what they were put out as. And yeah, to Matt's point, it does a better job of fleshing out these characters as actual characters than the first two movies in this prequel trilogy had done. It's got really good writing, the action Kind of like when you think of Spider-Man. Just some of the action really lends itself to animation. So it is a worthy watch if somebody hasn't checked out the Tartakovsky micro-series. All right. I I should definitely check that out. I've been hearing about that forever. I have never sat down to watch them, but I think I would dig those if I sat down. Oh, yeah. You could finish it in a day. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. I still have my original DVDs, and like once every two years, they get popped in. And yeah, it's it's so quick, It's but it's, it's a worthwhile go. All right. So we open up. We get the 20th Century Fox Fanfare. And then we get the opening crawl, and is it just me, or is this the most amateurish of all the crawls we have seen so far? (laughs) It's almost like he got one of his kids to write it with few corrections and put it on screen. War! The Republic is crumbling, and there are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. (laughs) What is this? This sounds like the beginning of a Guar song. This doesn't sound like the beginning of a Star Wars film. It's the opposite of Phantom Menace, where Phantom Menace is too wordy to the point where you could be lost almost immediately. This one, as you said, feels like a five-year-old wrote it. And it it is so straightforward that it it borders on comical. (laughs) I think this is the worst title crawl up to this point, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah, I I agree, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just such an awkward beginning. (laughs) War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing when it comes to this crawl. It's just such a awkward... It doesn't fit with the... I mean, we've had good and bad scrolls. This one just 
there was no chat GPT in 2005, but you might as well have fed this one into it for an early adopter of how this thing is written. <laughs> now I can't see this opening crawl without thinking of that fucking song. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so then Lucas pans down, and I'll go ahead and say, I do really like the beginning of this movie. We're hearing war drums as ships are flying by, and we literally follow Anakin and Obi-Wan into battle. It's like a new hope. We are being taken right in the middle of something that we have no idea of. Although, like Matt says, I mean, if you watch The Clone Wars, you would know this, but I had no idea, and I, I was finding this pretty fun. I clearly remember the first time that I'd seen this in the movie theater. I remember this opening because somewhere, and it might have been Entertainment Tonight if that was still around, somebody talks about how this movie opens with the drum beats of war and didn't have any idea what that meant. And literally, for some reason, we have drums in space where no one can hear you scream, but you can hear drums. (laughs) (laughs) But it sets a tone, but I was not expecting this. You You don't know what you're seeing until the entire screen flips, spins, and puts you right into the battle. It is way different than any of the openings we got before and that includes a new hope which starts with a spaceship being taken over in a battle but this one we are full-blown in war however i was also upset because i'm like wait a minute we just skipped the clone wars yeah and that wasn't something that i was expecting because we were promised we're getting the clone wars and no we got the beginning and we literally get the last 25 minutes which is what this opening takes the last 25 minutes of the clone wars yeah, yep. that's a, a great point. There's a three-year gap in between the previous mm-hmm. and this one. Yeah. Which makes it feel kind of... It, it makes me more on the side of people who felt Attack of the Clones should have been the first episode. And then the, the actual Clone Wars are the middle movie. And then the third one, you you yeah. can start after the first 30 minutes and change some stuff around. Because it's weird that it's still the Clone Wars, but it still feels disconnected from the previous movie. Because now, despite this army of the Republic, the Chancellor still gets kidnapped. And there's a new villain that we've never seen before, unless you've watched the Tartakovsky show. Mm-hmm. Anakin and Obi-Wan have, I guess, by default, better banter. They, they, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of hard to be much worse. And stylistically, they do some cool stuff where it's designed to look like one shot and one continuous shot. That's a lot easier to do with CGI versus actual camera work. That's still my problem I've had with these movies where they're fighting droids and the clones of the soldiers getting killed, so I, I can't bring myself to care. So, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say my biggest problem with this movie right off the bat. My biggest problem with this movie is it should have been two movies. The last movie should have been the first, and this should have been split up into two. Because you guys just said it. This is way too elongated, and there's something wrong with the script writing here where you could have split it up into two. Without a doubt. There's elements of the first two movies. There's enough there to make one good 215, 225 long movie. There's enough here to fully flesh out two good two-hour movies if you wanted to and unfortunately they didn't (laughs) star wars has a rule of two for some reason Mm. every f word in hollywood has a rule of three you know what (laughs) fuck it make four do what you have to do to make the story right and Mm -hmm. by the time you get to the end of this the possibilities are gone and you're like man what if what if what if well, what if is the statement of all these prequels? People have devoted their entire lives to rewriting these movies and re-editing them. But I don't yep. think it's unwarranted because my problem with this movie, Garrett, to your point, I have quite a few. And I'll say this right now. I'm baffled that everyone defends this movie passionately but disregards the previous two. Because honestly, I think they all have universal problems. In this particular instance... This one feels the most rushed of the three when it comes to the storytelling, and that's a huge detriment, especially with what needs to happen in this movie, because the previous two did not 
foreshadow or develop as much as they could have, which creates a, a ton of problems. And a movie that's already long. This one's also over two hours, like Attack of the Clones was. But there comes a point where it's like this movie takes a breath. It doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing Hayden Christensen back. He's got a scar on his cheek. His hair's a little longer, and you can tell that he's seen some battles. So Stupid fucking haircut. <laughs> or a lack thereof. This gets so bad that, remember, Goblet of Fire came out the same year, and Daniel Radcliffe has this hair. Oh, that's right, yeah. So does my son right now. <laughs> does he really? Yes, oh he does. Well, I know. It's like his father in high school. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our two heroes here. One, I feel McGregor's as comfortable as he's ever been as Obi-Wan. I find his mannerisms and even the way he grew his beard to be like his best character work of this series. And you're right, Matt. I think their banter is better in this because I, I think a lot, a lot of the reason is that is because I think Christensen's a little more comfortable too. Again, we can tell that the war's been tough on him. His hair's grown long. He's in a vulnerable frame of mind. And I'm not going to be as hard on Christensen as I was last week. I think he's mildly better. But in a movie where the film revolves around the tragedy of his fall, he needs to be better, minorly better. <laughs> yeah, you know what? When I go to pick up dog feces in the backyard, I'm happy if it's solid instead of liquid and all over the place. So solid is better, but that doesn't mean either one is good. Is he better? Yeah, he is. He'd done a couple things in the meantime. I'll say he's considerably better than he was last week in Attack of the Clones. That in no way means he's a good actor. And I'm not saying necessarily he's bad, because I don't think the material does him any favors, but I don't think he can make this dialogue, this story work, where you believe him as this great Jedi hero who's going to fall and be the biggest, baddest motherfucker in the galaxy. He cannot sell that. He can't. Well, we got the rule of twos on this podcast, because I disagree with both of you. I think he's actually worse in this movie. But I attribute that also to the fact that he has to do a lot more heavy lifting on a more consistent basis here. But much like the previous movie, I don't put it all on his shoulders, because I think, in some ways, the material he's given here is actually worse in a lot of ways. Because he has to get to a point for this movie to happen that I don't feel is earned, based on what's been both shown and also not shown. Anakin says this is when the fun begins and this is where we get some of what Guinness was talking about in A New Hope as we're seeing Anakin be a good pilot. He's avoiding missiles and taking out these little annoying buzz droids that are on a ship. They land on the general's command ship as the doors close and Obi-Wan leaps out and takes out a few battle droids and oh, what a weird effect that was. Yeah, (laughs) much like Attack of the Clones, some of the effects in this are really rubbery when people are moving around in the air. It reminds me of the, especially that last Matrix sequel not the most recent one the whatever the third one was at the time it's like the battle in blade 2 when he's fighting the death stalkers like and it's all the lights get turned off and it looks like a video game why did the separatists have gremlin bots (laughs) (laughs) these little like tech droids that land they're like a swarm it reminds me of in the bayformer films the bashemi bot 5000 it's kind of like that oh yeah God, mm. yeah, little toaster. Yeah. The only thing would have been better is having William Shatner on the backseat of one of these <laughs> looking at the wing. Anakin and R2, they join in on the battle, and Anakin says that he can sense Count Dooku. We then get to, I guess we can call him the Darth Maul of this film, General Grievous. Now, let's talk about Grievous a bit. I'm getting a little geeky, but correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. Is Grievous the example Palpatine uses when he eventually turns to Vader? This is a guy who eventually we're going to see Obi-Wan rip his armor plate off. We're going to see his insides, and he's not exactly put together in the best way. Is this why Palpatine goes to Vader? It is. We see the evolution. We see Maul. We see Grievous. And you put those two together, and what you get is Darth Vader. So he's very sloppily, or very, I guess... 
you might as well pull out your crayons and make it so plain for kids. But yeah, this is proto-Vader. You know, all the way down to having breathing problems hacking up a yeah. lung, which the story's true. Yes, that was George Lucas recording himself while he had pneumonia. I remember being told, oh, we're going to see this great General Grievous, who's the early version of Darth Vader. I wasn't a huge fan then, and I'm a fan less and less as the years have gone on. Again, <laughs> watch some of the animated stuff, because, boy, it does it a little better. But I don't dig Grievous much in this. Yeah, supposedly, he was supposed to be voiced by Gary Oldman. But it was a non-Guild film, so Oldman was like, fuck this, and he backed out of it. And he'd already recorded a couple scenes before he ended up backing out. That's just the problem. We're told by him, pretty much, that he's feared, but I don't see any of that. He kind of comes off as bumbling, but I do, I will go ahead and say, I do love his spider walk that we see later. I find that really awesome. He's the same as Maul and Dooku in that he's a piece of the Vader puzzle, but they're also far more interesting in how we're told they are versus what's actually shown. And he's got the same problem as Dooku, where all his best stuff is in the other forms of media, not necessarily the films themselves. I think it's a cool design. We have a full-fledged cyborg. And there was a point where Lucas actually considered him to be revealed as Darth Maul. That was something that was actually talked about until they realized that was stupid. I think it's cool, and they got a, one of the animators to voice him, and he's stuck around all these years later. But he's kind of got the Boba Fett thing, where it's like, yeah, he looks cool, but he's introduced... So, without much pretense, unless you've seen the show, and he doesn't even make it throughout the whole movie. You needed him in the... Ball only made it halfway as well. Hey you <laughs> You needed him in the last film. Combine mm. him and Dooku, because neither one of them lasts a full film anyway. But you need a build-up to lead into the next film, and that's the issue. And Phantom Menace, you have a villain, he's gone. In the second one, you have Dooku... Only at the very end of the film does he ever show up and hang on to that for about two minutes here. And then you got Grievous, who we've never heard about or seen before in film, just showing up here in this one to be what we think is the new big bad. So they got an issue with, hey, we're going to introduce somebody. We're not going to give them a lot. But you know what? That's okay because we're going to write a book and we're going to put a story on the back of the cards for the toys. Well, Django Fett should have been Grievous. Yeah, I could have gone with that. And you fix that problem. You know why I think Grievous has a head up on Boba Fett? I think he's cooler to me just because of the character trait of how he collects these lightsabers like they're dog tags. That's really cool, actually. I'm, I'm glad they did that. Well, he also doesn't really go out like a bitch like Boba Fett does. At, <laughs> yeah. least, at least he puts up a fight. You know, I like those traits. I agree. There's something that you can see that he is hunted down. Again, something else that Darth Vader does, mm -hmm. you know, in the years after this film. That is really cool when you see that, you know, my collection. We don't mm -hmm. see it, but that you're like, oh, well, how badass is he that this is a Jedi killer? Yeah, and that, that again, it justifies my argument of uh, making him swapping out Jango Fett because you could write him as a bounty hunter. Yeah. In addition to actual field commander of the droid army. Well, what's weird about him is that he tells Obi-Wan when they fight later that he tells him, I've been trained in the Jedi arts. Well, that's only lightsaber battles. We're not seeing him move doors or anything. Yeah, but... He's just trained in swordplay. Which is canonical because as a cyborg he can't really utilize the force it's canonized that dooku knows all seven forms of lightsaber combat yeah i'm very nerdy people when it comes to star wars this is what happens when you marry someone who's a fanatic <laughs> i came to the dark side as we'll see in these movies you don't have to be a jedi to use a lightsaber which i'm fine with because I, I think that's it's I'll a laser used one yeah, Han, he pulls it out, he's kind of awkward with it when he's cutting open the Tauntaun. So apparently you do need some kind of training, unless you just put a helmet on a five-year-old kid and just tell them to swing it. But he's like, yeah, my collection of lightsabers, 
Which one do you want? There's only two colors. There's green and there's blue. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the two Jedi Knights, they head to where Palpatine is, and they are walking into another Palpatine trap. Dooku is thinking that Palpatine is leading them here, and Anakin will be the third part of their troop. But this is all part of Palpatine's plan to turn him, and that's why Dooku has a look of complete betrayal when Anakin kills him. And... You know what? We talked a lot last week about how Lee just does not look right, and he doesn't look right here either. That flip he does off that balcony is fucking ridiculous. There is no reason for that. Yeah, this movie has a real problem with having geriatric citizens doing acrobatics. Yeah. Because between him and Palpatine, it looks absurd. But I think this lightsaber fight is actually better than the one you get in Attack of the Clones. I'll agree with that. And I like that, once again, Obi-Wan cannot beat him. Man, last trilogy, every single time Vader came down a set of steps, it was imposing. Here, for some reason, he's having these guys, like you said, just leap off these <laughs> these balconies and these platforms. It just It just looks bad. It just doesn't look right. They can't put any weight to the CG to mm-hmm. make it look, you know, there's no heft to there's no gravity. I know we're in space, but, you know, but turn on the gravity well projectors. It, yeah, I like this scene, especially for what it does for Anakin. What I can never and have not been able to go with for 18 years <laughs> is throwing down a little platform and crushing Obi's legs that doesn't matter for the rest of this film. Oh, I know. Just, yeah, like yeah. there's no weight to that structure because he should be either paralyzed or hell? he should look like Anakin where they have to saw his legs off. Yeah. He, he should be asking where Maul's robotics legs are, you yeah. know, for the rest of this film. I like him going up against Dooku. I can't stand Palpatine up until the end. That moment when Palpatine says, like, yeah, go. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they feel. <laughs> All right, well... Like, he's, like, well, he's since, watching his kids play a video game. It's like he's at a sporting event. Yeah, let's dress the Emperor in the room. I have had pizzas that do not contain as much cheese as Ian McDermott's <laughs> performance in this movie. <laughs> and it starts immediately. Uh, and it's it's really weird in this movie, because I think this movie has the opposite problem of The Phantom Menace, where I think, I think The Phantom Menace is too lighthearted to the point where it borders on silliness. This is way too self-serious, I agree Yeah, this with you. one is well yeah. too, way too self-centered and self-important mm-hmm. for something that is ultimately space fantasy. I think that's why New Hope reinforced it as my favorite, is because it never gets too serious, and it also never lingers too long on one specific scene. And Phantom Menace, it's hard to take it seriously because it's not a very serious movie. Here, we're supposed to be taking everything at face value. It's supposed to have all this weight and evoke Greek tragedies. But it's hard to do that in a movie where your main villain is a mustache away from being Snidely Whiplash. And speaking of weight, too, just the way that scene looks, with all the tools that Lucas has at his disposal, you think he would get that fucking platform falling on Obi-Wan better looking. That has always bugged me, the way it just falls on him. It just looks like like when I was a kid and I would have platforms fall on my action figures. <laughs> and it scoots over his legs. Like yeah! Like kind of misses <laughs> and then scoots over yes. So apparently, uh. in Attack of the Clones, if Yoda let all those rocks fall on Obi-Wan, he would have been just fine. <laughs> Dooku takes down Obi-Wan, but Anakin slices off both his arms and then his head. Lucas is going to earn this PG-13 rating, isn't he? Yeah, but it's, it's, it feels, this movie feels like a 10-year-old's idea of being dark 
And I'm like, you realize that at the end of the day, it's a movie about how doing bad things for the right reasons are supposed to be okay, but it's so simplified with how it tries to pull that off. At least Christopher Lee gets killed off in this movie on screen, which he does not do in Return of the King, even though they shot that scene and cut it in a movie that's already three and a half fucking hours. But this is where, like, headcanon, I I have to accept... (laughs) Because I don't buy it later on. This has to be the moment where Anakin goes to the dark side. Because it makes more sense if it's here than the moment we're sold on later. Because he even says, like, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It's not the code. Maybe if you did this instead of what we get later on, and really, this is what sets him down the dark path. Because Obi-Wan never calls him out on it. Well, Obi-Wan doesn't see it. No, but Palpatine tells everyone, yeah, he killed Count Dooku. I know it's a war and all, but I'm sure Anakin would have told him, yeah, I I cut his head off. (laughs) Going back to the PG-13 rating, that was the whole build-up to this movie, too. This was the first Star Wars movie to earn a PG-13 rating. It was kind of exciting to think, oh, wow, he's going to go that dark, and we're going to get a PG-13 rating. For somebody who grew up on Star Wars and was really wanting to see this huge turn that Darth Vader makes, that was kind of intriguing to me. So when I see this scene, I'm like, okay, well, we're going here. Let's see if it goes even darker later. Well, if you remember, this was the first year where Harry Potter went PG-13, too. Yep. There's also a weird connection that Lucas is using here when it comes to Palpatine. It's almost like he's saying, man, this chair is comfortable. I need one of these when I become ruler. <laughs> well, he's sitting in the same pose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he's got his yeah. arms on the rest. But there is a great bit of foreshadowing in a movie that does not have a whole lot of subtlety or good prequelitis. When Anakin says his fate will be the same as ours, all three of them die on a Death Star. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah. Their fate is the same. Damn, I never hit that before. Yeah. Anakin says he shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. But Palpatine says that he had to take revenge on him for cutting off his arm in the last film. That's Palpatine. not good logic. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, remember about your mom and the sand people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that he... wasn't, Dooku was not involved in that unless you're going to say that he paid the sand people to kidnap her because he knew Anakin would go back for her. God, this movie's dumb. Palpatine, like you said, even makes the connection between this and Anakin's mom. As he says, it's like when you took revenge on the Tusken Raiders for what they did to your mom. And Lucas even plays up the Tusken Raiders sound effect as McDermott says this. So I don't think it's the fact that he's trying to make the connection between Dooku and the Tusken Raiders. It's just the feeling that Anakin had when he took that revenge. Yeah, but revenge for someone severing your arm is different than murdering your mother. But he also makes to the point that, as you've told me about the Sand People, so you realize at least, that this I'll give credit for, in a single line of dialogue, you realize that these two have been talking, having conversations. These two have had a relationship with each other going on beyond what we've seen on screen. He's tried to instill himself as a mentor to Anakin. Lucas is really playing up this part of the story, but I think another mistake that this movie makes is concentrating on this stuff and the R2 antics, and not things like what's making the Separatist movement leave and the connection between the clones and the Jedi. Make the Order 66 betrayal toward the end of the film mean more. I don't find that meaning anything because we're not seeing any connection between these clones and these Jedi. I mean, yeah, we've had a three-year gap, but what's gone on in that besides Anakin getting a little bit of a scar on his face? Yeah, it still feels like the same status quo we were left with at the end of the previous Now, there's a way I think they could have done that if you wanted to add some consequence. Now, you would have had to either depict this in the TV show or just, I'm not a fan of killing characters off screen, but have it be revealed that Mace Windu died during the Clone Wars or something. Make there be some kind of actual loss on either side. So I'm like, they've been fighting for three years. It's still the same plot. And at the end of the day, it's it's clones versus robots. Literally, whoop-de-doo. Well... (laughs) Samuel Jackson wouldn't let that happen. He wouldn't be let himself get killed off screen because, like he said, he wasn't wanting to be killed off like a bitch. We'll get to his scene later. <laughs> <laughs> put, a pin in, 
<laughs> yes, like, exactly. They showed him a different cut. <laughs> They get caught in an elevator shaft as R2 makes his way to them and then subsequently gets kicked over by a battle droid. And then? <laughs> I remember this getting a massive cheer when freaking yeah. R2 literally lights it and kills these droids. And mm-hmm. this was something that completely unexpected. And yeah, my audience went nuts for it. Yeah, because he has like that, that electrical current. That's like the equivalent of a woman pulling mace out of her purse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? And we can sit here and we can rip on Jar Jar, which we did. We can rip on the R2 antics, which we have. We can rip on C-3PO like we have. But you know what? The audience always responds to that stuff. Lucas must know what he's doing. And the audience always responds to R2 because he doesn't talk. Yeah. You have one less obstacle to overcome. And R2-D2 is considerably more useful than C-3PO and Jar Jar Binks combined. Grievous shows up and taunts both Kenobi and Skywalker. They get out of their restraints and take on these droids with what looks like nunchucks with energy, these things. and Yeah, they got their, like, electrical staffs. Yeah. I, they're kind of cool, but you know what? Is it just me, or did they just figure that this was going to be the last one? So they're putting a whole bunch of new fucking characters on screen. We've had new characters before, but we're getting a shit ton in this one. They need more toys to sell. That's what I'm saying. Battlefront 2 was coming out, so they needed yep. more, yep. more, cla- more classes. Yeah. By the way, I played that game incessantly. So did on. I. They needed more classes for you to play as. That's why these Magna Guards are here. And uh, the one thing that has not aged well, and this is not just related to this movie, but CGI cloth around this time never looked good. And these cloaks on Grievous and his guards... They also look like they have no weight to them or good texturing. I'm going to say, and this is something that starts here and has never found a way to leave Star Wars. I understand you want a weapon or something to go up against a lightsaber. I absolutely hate the fact that just by electrifying something, it can stand up to a lightsaber. Something we've seen cut through so many different things. I I don't know why it bugs me. It bugs me less here than it does in the sequel trilogy. Wait for that later. I just, I, I, it, meh. Uh-uh. But the problem when you have a weapon this powerful, or it's like it is. Everybody has to level the playing field somehow. Grievous escapes by cutting a hole in the ship and swinging to the other side. As the Jedi's take out more battle droids and land very violently, to which Kenobi says, "Another happy landing." That is stoned out of his mind, you and McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I have to say? With the exception of the lame opening crawl, I have almost zero problems with the first twenty-five minutes of this movie. It's fast-paced and gets to where it needs to go rather quickly and economically. I'm kind of digging this movie so far. I don't have an issue with it. But I don't need it whatsoever. You could completely cut it out, and this movie will suffer nothing whatsoever other than it being a little more breezy. Because it just does not hold to the rest of this movie other than introducing Grievous, which, as we discussed, already should have been done. So it's fine, but once they crash this ship, it's entirely forgotten. Completely. This should have been the climax of the last movie. Mm -hmm. Let the, the fact that he murdered Dooku... When he was literally unarmed, let him sit on that for years. So much like him killing all the sand people, we see he's capable of of doing questionable things that are against the Jedi. But also, this is much more thrilling. You actually have finality, but you can still keep your cliffhanger of Grievous getting away. We cut to Coruscant, complete with a shot of the Millennium Falcon docking. Kenobi and Anakin, they have a conversation about who's a better Jedi, and Palpatine tells Mace that he's all right and Grievous has escaped as Jar Jar gets his one line in. Excuse me. Hmm. Poor Jar Jar. 
Anakin goes to Padme, whose hair is suspiciously made up to look like Leia's. He says that it feels like they've been apart for a lifetime, and he's tired of all this deception. This is also when she reveals that she's about eight and a half months pregnant, and boy, she carries that well, doesn't she? Must have been a long-ass mission. Yeah. (laughs) I think Natalie Portman has done one of the biggest disservices in this entire movie, where she gets nothing to do besides waddle around and be pregnant and cry. That's her her entire character. That was going to be one of my points is, yeah, this movie is literally her doing absolutely nothing. And I know this was filmed in 2003. This was filmed two years before it was released. But, you know, in that time, I mean, she had Closer the year previous year. She could have done something with some weight around this time, and she is just thrown in, and all we're seeing is shots of her crying half the fucking movie. Adam? Yes, however, this is the film that she actually puts out a decent performance. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, 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 yeah, no. She's better in this than she is the other two. Much like Hayden, she's worse in this movie. But I think she's worse in this one, too. But I don't think it's because the fact that she's still with him. I think she gets some really bad stuff, but she can't rise above it. Adam, stop. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> yeah, I have, lost, I have lost the will to live listening to yeah. her say that. <laughs> yeah, and plus she's way skinny in this, too. And that's really stupid considering that she's supposed to be pregnant in this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Not all women her. carry it the same way. Yeah, they, they literally have to Padme her clothing later on <laughs> to make it look more believable. Well, this is the dumb thing where it's like nobody says anything. Who's the I know. Boss? We cut to Grievous flying to Utapau and connecting with Sidious. Sidious suggests that they move the Separatists to Mustafar and says that the end of the war is near. Big pop for those that had known about Mustafar and what it was. Yes. Like that was a, oh my goodness, they said we're going to see the, oh, that's the place. For those that knew it, that was a big deal. Yep. Anakin and Padme, they have a conversation about how she wants to have their baby on Naboo, and he can't stop saying how beautiful she is. Boy, you know, the dialogue has just gotten no better, has it? It's just as flat, and it's just as stilted. And, you know, they talk about we shouldn't be doing this and it's secretive, but the fact that she's walking around pregnant and is not married or, or with anybody, they're really doing a terrible job at keeping it secret. But much like everything else, the Jedi can't see shit. You couldn't put a piece of paper in front of them and have them grab it. That's how stupid and ignorant they are. (laughs) Especially in this movie. Like, it gets worse with each of these prequels. How much the Jedi just suck. As the movies go on, you're right. I didn't really see it in the first film. I'm really seeing it here where, my God, are they fucking idiots. Anakin proves he never has nice dreams, as we're seeing a nightmare about Padme dying while giving birth. One thing I will say, I do like his uh, prosthetic arm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that he took his shirt off and I didn't have to ask for it. (laughs) (laughs) He did get himself into great shape. I'll give him that. He did. Yeah, Lucas did tell him, look, you're going to have to gain some weight for this next one. And he did. He does look pretty good. Well, you have to because walking in the Vader armor at the end, way considerable. He wasn't going to be in that armor at the end. He wanted to be. He wanted to be really, really bad, but Lucas was against it until literally the 10th hour. Till the very last minute, Lucas was going to hire somebody who was really tall to get in that outfit. Anakin tells Padme about it and then shoots down the idea that Obi-Wan could help. He Why? Goes to... if, there's one that would, if there's one person that you think he would confide in, uh-huh. it would be Obi-Wan. Because we're told that they're like the best of brothers, but again, we're told it, but it's not shown. And the movie asks you to make a lot of inferences to go along with what's happening. Anakin goes to Yoda and talks about his premonitions, and Lucas is really shooting this on the nose as we're seeing Anakin half in shadow, telling us that he's already halfway to the dark side. Well, Adam, you know what this made me cringe 
because I was thinking of Gotham when they had the guy who plays Harvey Dent halfway in shadow. Oh, half in shadow, yeah. I'm like, this is so on the nose. And again, Yoda can't see this, where he's like, someone close to you? He's like, yeah. Yoda's like, well, I know you and Obi-Wan aren't fucking, um, so it's it's, it's gotta be the senator. It's gotta be the senator. The person that we sent you back to her home world where you rolled around in the hay, you came back and she's pregnant. Huh. I'm sensing the most fourth sensitive twins ever in her belly, but I can't put two and two together. <laughs> Anakin then goes to Obi Wan and we're hearing that today Palpatine will be given executive powers. Yeah, because d- remember this movie is all about nine eleven and the Bush administration. Oh. <laughs> oh, it, it totally is. <laughs> Lucas said that this was written in the Vietnam era, and so it's easy to put that together when this was coming out four years later, but I, you know what, people were making those connections, I don't see it. Well, given the fact that Lucas is not above going back and adding to stuff that he's created 20 years before, it wouldn't surprise me at all. He's not. But you got to look at this. I mean, he could have had this outlined way back when, I believe him when he says that. But you got to up things up. You got to put characters in who are popular. You got to put this in because everything is not going to go as planned. You have to tweak things in these scripts no matter how long ago you wrote it if you're going to direct it in a modern day. So maybe he did up it up for for a political purpose when this was coming out. I don't know. I couldn't tell you for sure. I just don't see the connection. I just can't get past the fact that you have a movie where the politician is trying to increase his power to wage a phony war around the same time as the war on terror. And the line that Anakin has later on, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy, that is basically George Bush saying either you are with us or you are against us. Or it's Adolf Hitler. You could take it either way. Does that make Grievous Joseph Goebbels as his minister? (laughs) Or is that the Viceroy, his minister of propaganda? We then go to a conversation between Palpatine and Anakin, and Palpatine says that he's going to be appointing him a master. Yoda calls the move disturbing, and May says that Anakin can be on the council, but he will not be appointed a master. This pisses Anakin off as he says, It's not fair! What? What? There's just too many times in this movie where Anakin still feels like a petulant child. It's like when you tell your kid you have to finish your chores before you go outside and play. That's how Anakin feels for a lot of this movie. And he wasn't good in the previous two movies, but Sam Jackson is checked out of this movie to the point where it's distracting. And look, he's not above phoning it in, but he begged to be in Star Wars. And this is how you repay George Lucas, looking like you don't give a shit. I tell you, if I saw him with his hands folded one more time on screen, I was going to fucking shout. While this meeting is taking place, we're hearing that Yoda is going to get the Wookiees to join the war. Because in his words, good relations with the Wookiee, he has. We're then hearing that the Council wants Anakin to spy on Palpatine, which is against the Jedi Code. And at this point, I gotta tell you boys, the Yoda speak is getting annoying. This was a character I enjoyed in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. He is a fucking idiot in this movie. He's an asshole. But also, like, Yoda, everything he said in Empire was very meaningful or prophetic. There was a lesson behind it. Here he's having to give, like, expository dialogue and actually have to play off other characters. His purpose is misconstrued, and he's less effective because of it. We then hear Padme ask the question of whether or not the democracy they've been promised even exists. No, no, it doesn't. We cut to, I guess, what can be construed as the Republic's idea of fun, a globe and some flying species contained in it, construing some opera. This, to me, feels like it was ripped off from a Final Fantasy video game. I swear I 
watched a 20-minute cutscene of this already. Well, you know what? It was going to take place in Palpatine's room that they have all these scenes in, but Lucas was like, you know what? I don't want to put it there. We've had too many scenes there. So they really made this up on the spot. Oh, might now he's drawing the line between too many Senate hearings. And I do think it's important to see a slice of life at Coruscant, but if you're going to have the haves, the have-nots, and those that got their heads up in the clouds, literally Coruscant, a city built up in the clouds, then you need to do it. It's just literally what I see on screen. I'm like, I think I played this level. <laughs> like it's, it's that on the nose to me. I did like the George Lucas cameo, though. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, is this where it is? This, I, yeah. I know he yeah. has a cameo, but... Yeah, he's one of those blue guys that's walking in. He's one of the walking up, yeah. There's that little hint of Return of the Jedi where he tells them, he's like, leave us. No, 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 no. It's like literally when they're walking in. You see him for a brief instant, but if you know he's there, you can find him. So Palpatine and Anakin, they have perhaps the most telling conversation of the film, as Palpatine says that he knows Anakin has been asked to spy on him and that the Jedi are planning to betray him. And then we are told about the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise, and Anakin is told that he can be taught how to use the Force to create life. Which brings up the question, is this how Anakin was conceived? Much like the Bible depends who you believe. There's never been a definitive answer, but... The only thing that's been canonicized that this is Palpatine's master, that I think that's canon. There's a book. Yeah, there this is. I think works really well in the trailer, because he has that line where he's like, is it possible to learn this? He's like, not from not a Jedi. Yeah. This is cool expansion of the Force. I don't understand why people think this is one of the best scenes in Star Wars, though. It's a story, and... Not that Christensen's given him a lot to work with. Well, I think it's the best scene in this movie. I won't say it's the best scene in Star Wars, but I, I do enjoy it in this movie. And you're really playing up how McDermott's playing it all hammy, but here he's... I, I, I like him in this, and I like the way Anakin's playing off him, too. This is actually a pretty good scene by two guys who are actually giving us something, I think. Yeah, I feel this is Jesus being tempted in the desert. That, oh, interesting. That's exactly how I take this. And the serpent tongue, and I dig this. I dig this scene a lot. I think McDermott actually does a decent job here. Uh, to Matt's point, yeah, Hayden Christensen really doesn't even know how to play off somebody who's acting well. I like this. I dig it. And there's a book, Darth Plagueis, that's fine if you want to get this fully fleshed out. I don't even know if Disney counts that anymore. They pick and choose what books based on what they can sell again. But yeah, I like this scene quite a bit. I could use more of this drama where I really feel like he's being tempted and pulled and a reason why. I don't even feel like this does not satisfactorily to me come back in the end. It does, but I don't think its resolution is as good as its delivery. There needed to be more of this type of temptation in the previous movie. Yeah. Palpatine needed to, again, this is one of the problems where they're telling you without showing you. They've had a relationship for years, so I imagine he's done this in the past, but for something as drastic as Anakin does later on, we really need to see him devolve and succumb to the allure of the dark side. Well, this needs to have a, if I would have known about your mother, we could have saved her, you know. Or, or quiet. We will save that. Yeah. We then cut to Kashyyyk and the battle cry of the Wookiees. And this is where we have a Chewbacca cameo. <laughs> you know, I do like this battle. I like the shot of the Wookiee on the side of this tank as it's going through the water. I think this is fun stuff. It's my least favorite place to fight in Battlefront 2. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. It's a pain in the ass. It's like the Helm's Deep level in the blood oh of the my God. Game. The fucking snappers. Defend the gate. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I love 
girlfriend too. I, do too. <laughs> my, I need 30 minutes of, of distraction game I could put on at any time. But I like this. We've heard of Kiss Chic. Those, sorry that I keep going back to books and stuff, but you all need to realize from freaking 83 until 97, we read and read and read. So visited Kashyyyk in the books and inner minds and places like that. So to have it on screen, you know what? It was cool to see. To see Wookiees for something other than either Chewbacca, which we've met, or the slaves that we know of that they were in books. I'm cool to see Kashyyyk. Is it pandering? Fucking A it is. But if this is going to be its last Star Wars, give me Wookiee Homeworld. Yeah, and supposedly they pulled a lot from the... (laughs) holiday special, which I keep trying to get these guys to fucking review with me. Where's Mala? Did this this take place on Life Day? (laughs) (laughs) I could have done without Chewbacca. That's my only criticism. I don't mind Chewbacca being here. What I mind is Yoda saying, I miss you, Chewbacca. Like, they have an established relationship. Just to give Chewbacca more screen time, I get it, but that was way pandering to me. But I don't mind seeing Like everybody knows somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it shrinks the universe. Well, he was... There's so much shrinkage in this universe, you might as well throw these movies in a pool. (laughs) He was going to have, and it was in the script for a while, a 10-year-old Han appear in this, too. That would have been too much. Yeah. We see another conversation between Kenobi and Anakin, where Anakin apologizes at being so arrogant and unappreciative of his training. They tell each other, may the Force be with you, and this is the last time they will see each other until the final battle. Yeah, because again, this movie has to do the thing of, well, we have to get Obi-Wan out of the story so Anakin can be turned to the dark side. We get more nightmares from Anakin, and we see him holding what I take as an iPad. What is this, a PSP that he has in his hand when we cut to him? Padme says that Obi-Wan is worried about Anakin, and Anakin says that he's lost due to the Council and Obi-Wan holding him back. His character arc is going in circles. It's the same complaints he had in the previous movie. We see Obi-Wan head to Utapau and hop on a lizard and go to where General Grievous is. I like this lizard, man. I, I like the little, ooh, I like the little noise it makes as it's going through. <laughs> this was a fucking cool-ass yeah, little creature like, that did, I, I did buy the toy of when it was out. Yeah, did you like Grievous talking to the Legion of Doom? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like all the characters we still have to pretend are important. He spots Grievous, and if you want to give your sound system a workout, watch this scene of him using the lightsabers he's gathered making a perimeter. That'll really, really blow your speakers up. Or just watch the video of Obi-Wan saying hello there a hundred times. It's always funny. I like that, too. A nice little battle takes place between the two, and again, I'll mention, I liked Grievous's little spider walk to get to his vehicle. Mm-hmm. We get to a chase between the two where Obi-Wan loses his lightsaber. Okay, you know what? I'm going to, because Matt, I know and Christian have recently gone through all the episodes of South Park. Tell me that he's not writing the it. <laughs> oh my god, Julius. <laughs> oh, fuck. Meanwhile, Anakin informs Palpatine of his frustration at not being involved in the battle and his feelings that he is being excluded from the council. Palpatine tells Anakin that if he wants to become a great leader and save his wife from certain death, he needs to learn the dark side. Anakin, yeah, despite the encouragement... Right, he went right to the uh, breaking case of emergency. I think Palpatine really overplays his hand here. (laughs) I know, right? I'm the bad guy. (laughs) And you're too stupid to do anything about it. And again, despite the encouragement from Palpatine, does the right thing and turns him in. Not really, he just tattletales on him. Well, yeah, but he could not told. The basic thing is Palpatine lets him go. I know. (laughs) He confronts him. You do what you must. He's like, I know you're so pussy whipped, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. He goes, turns him in. The Jedi show up. He doesn't leave his chair. 
He doesn't give a shit. No. We cut to the chase between Obi-Wan and Grievous, and another battle between them takes place. And I like seeing the insides of Grievous as Obi-Wan just rips his chest plate and then shoots him. I think this is fun stuff. And I, and I like how Obi-Wan just throws the gun away and goes so uncivilized, kind of doing what Guinness did in The New Hope when he mentioned the blasters were uncivilized. This was pretty good stuff. I like this. It's good stuff. I think this would have fit in the tone of last week's film. I think mm-hmm. this would have been really cool to have as part of the Clone Wars. Yeah, well, I also love just the, the image of a Jedi using a blaster. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is the whole uncivilized thing where he's like, oh, I don't need this, but because I'm a Jedi, I'm required to not have my lightsaber when I most need it. These guys lose lightsabers like I go through TV remotes. <laughs> <laughs> And TVs during jet season. Yeah. And I said on the last show where it's like, oh, yeah, they make such a big deal about crafting your own lightsaber, but they give you a spare without a moment's thought. (laughs) We got some extras. I'm pretty sure that when Obi-Wan says, this was your father's lightsaber in A New Hope, it's a replica. He's like, yeah, this is brilliant. In Harry Potter, no one goes back to Ollivander's multiple times. There's wand repair services, but you can't really just buy a new one because it's... Much like the the Wanchus of the Wizard, they say the crystal and the Jedi have a bond. Yeah, like, that's the color comes from that and your use of the Force. Meanwhile, Anakin tells Mace of his findings on Palpatine, and Mace tells him to stay out of this affair. Because I'm sure you will do this. Yes, of course. You have been nothing but rebellious ever since you came <laughs> on board as a nine-year-old, but I'm sure this one time you will do what you're told. But Anakin doesn't adhere to this, and as Mace arrives with some backup to arrest Palpatine, Palpatine just takes them all out like bitches. <laughs> Again, the Jedi suck. <laughs> My God, we saw these guys in the midst of battle last week. Here they get about two minutes, and then they're all just cut down. This is stupid. In a horribly filmed action scene. Terrible. Yeah. Well, you thought Christopher yeah. Lee was distracting. Ian McDermott's even worse. It's yeah. terrible. And they were going to yeah. do the same. They were going to do the same thing. They were going to put someone someone in and put McDermott's head on it. But Lucas wanted McDermott to do the majority of his stunts. He wanted the audience to see him doing it. So he left this in. And yeah, it, it is not good. They're showing flashes of the Jedi as they're being cut down. Except we're only seeing images of their head. We're not even seeing the action as they're cut. Oh my god, this is just lame. Mace gets a fight, but he is still sliced in half and thrown out the window. <laughs> Well, his arm gets cut off. Because this is a world where, unless you count Dooku, nobody goes for the head. And, of course, we have to explain how Palpatine got his scars. Yeah, this is also when McDermott is, like you said, Matt, he's really camping it up. He's yelling, no, no, no! You have lost and are a traitor! And, of course, we need to know where the Emperor's wrinkled face came from. I thought he was just old. I had no idea that this came from his own lightning bolts being deflected into his face just ancient and he doesn't feel like the same character because he's so over the top yeah but but it, it, this movie puts the opera in space opera because it's very loud everything is overplayed all the big emotional beats are cranked up to 11 as best they can it's not a quiet movie and it's, it's certainly not a subtle one i always took it and i st- i still read this scene this way that he was using the force to depict himself looking how he did and kind of disguising the sith destruction of his visage and when he had his force lightning redirected back he just kind of dropped the facade and i still choose that way of thinking about it because it makes me feel good (laughs) 
it just, you know, reflecting off the say it just, yeah, it doesn't work for me. I think the only reason you do this is to do what Lucas ended up doing, like, in the next scene. And I do like when he does put the hoodie on and you see it go over his head and he looks exactly like he did in Return of the Jedi. But to Matt's point, it's not the same character. Mm-mm. And from here... This is a big problem I have where Anakin has gone from constantly questioning the Jedi to, I will do whatever my new master says. No questions asked. Even that scene, which we'll get we'll get to. Even though the Emperor is constantly giving him contradictory opinions. The fact that Anakin right away just kneels down and says, yes, my master, after he's appointed Darth Vader, which, by the way, how long has Palpatine has this name in his memory bank? Yeah, he's you like, know, he just waiting for years to, to use yeah. the name. <laughs> and, you know, it's... It, it's a Lucasfilm version of he trademarked ten of them. And he's <laughs> yeah, he went on MySpace and checked to see which ones were available because he's like, "You're Darth Vader eight two nine because because Vader was unavailable." But how bad is Christensen in the moment where you just killed a master? Oh my God, what have I done? It's laughable. It was then. It is now. This is your drama this is your moment and damn throw this kid out the window because his acting coach deserves to be thrown out with it yeah the, and this is the problem this feels so rushed even though this yeah. is the third goddamn movie and, and i hate how simplified it is it's just anakin turned to the dark side because he wanted to save his wife but he looks like a moron for doing so even mm-hmm. though the mm-hmm. precipice the foundation was there for him to have actual conflict with the jedi actual reasons for turning his back on them out of hypocrisy and hubris. There's stuff there they could have done, but Lucas took the easy way out. I think it hurts the image of Vader, which is why so many people don't like these movies. You know what's weird about that, Matt? All that was here. Lucas decided to throw the majority of it out and concentrate on the emotion of the possibility of Anakin losing Padme. And so this is what we get. This is the reason why. And if you would have had all those other reasons, you're absolutely right. This would have come off way better. Then he should have went to, I mean, Dooku should have teased him. He should have put that there. But then Anakin should have been like, tell me what to do. I can't. Tell me what to I can't. It's forbidden. It's dark side. And Anakin should have been the, I understand. I need to save Padme. Show me anyway. He should have willingly jumped into the dark side for it. And McDermott is doing some wheezing here that, Matt, we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about The Exorcist. <laughs> all on the soundtrack. Yoda feels this appointing and shows us by holding his head for a few seconds. Palpatine orders Vader to the Jedi Temple. I find it weird that Vader gets the duty of killing a bunch of kids as the clones take out the Jedis. Yeah, and because we're trying to be adult, we're going to have the most over-the-top thing of Anakin murdering children. That because was, we, we couldn't come up with anything else. That so was a big to, deal. You have to go to the furthest extreme possible, and it feels so out of place in a Star Wars movie. It's like Lucas wanted so desperately to be thought of, in the same way that Vince McMahon wants to be thought of something more than the wrestling guy. Lucas can't accept that these movies are really for kids. I hate to say it. I love this march to the temple. This is when Lucas really turns on the afterburners because we are getting a ton of Hitler-esque imagery with the overhead shots of Anakin leading the troops to battle. This is the kind of stuff that I saw in the trailer and was like, fucking A, this is going to be great. And I thought this was going to be the movie. (laughs) Yeah. We are way into it. It -hmm. it has taken us a freaking long road through hyperspace to get here. But Anakin also never says, okay, how is eliminating the Jedi going to save my wife? 
Well, he's been manipulated into doing this, so he's not even thinking about that once he's being appointed this leader. Now he's been manipulated into being this dreaded killer. Doing it in this scene would make the trolley problem seem moot. Immediately, though, I mean, earlier Palpatine's like, you know, I, I have the knowledge to save your wife. Join me. And then he kills Mace, and he's like, together, maybe we can find out how to do this. It should have been, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. You told, oh, fuck. I will say, I think with a couple exceptions, one big exception that we'll get to, I think this last hour of film is perhaps the final hour that Lucas will ever direct is some of the best directing of his entire career. I think this last hour moves at a clip, and I'm definitely not feeling it at this point. Did it feel rushed, as Matt said? Yeah, it did. But once we get here, I'm with this film. I'm never fully on board. Part of it is also, it's weird that Lucas shows a lot of restraint because there's very few deaths that are actually shown on camera. Well, he didn't but show yeah. restraint. He yeah. took it out. He took him out. He filmed all of them, but he took him out because he feared that he was going to lose his PG-13 rating. But he also incessantly infers that Anakin slaughtered children. It's a weird mix. I do love the montage of all the Jedi getting killed because I was cheering because they suck. But the big one that made me say, okay, this is stupid. They're on Kashyyyk. You send two clones to try to take out Yoda. I would send every soldier I had after Yoda. We go to Utapau as the battle wages and Obi-Wan gets his saber back. And we're even seeing the clones take out some droids by jumping on them. I thought that was kind of cool. Right before the order comes out, we're seeing this move that I used to do on fucking Battlefront all the time. But Order 66 comes through and they try shooting Obi-Wan down. They get his lizard, but Obi-Wan falls a hell of a long way down. And Williams once again turns the score up to 11 as we're seeing more Jedi Knights being taken out and Yoda looks like he's going to have a heart attack. Lucas really wants to play up the tragedy of this happening. I get the operatic feel of this. I think the way Williams does this score, he is incorporating every single theme he's ever done because he thought this was the last time he was ever going to do a Star Wars. And I think for the most part, his music really comes through. I don't know, man. I'm digging this. I know Matt is. And Adam, are you? I am. To your point, I like the entire finale once we turn rushing towards the end. I'm having a good time. I'm engaged. I like the action. I get what they're doing with the clones, and I like the idea behind it because we don't have a big buildup of that relationship. When Order 66 came out, I still remember sitting there in the theater being like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. It's a joke now, but when that happened, it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. It plays better in... If you want to see this done well where you really get that emotional beat, watch the final four episodes of the last season of The Clone Wars. And it is done in a way that is hard to not feel emotional about. Chills, teary eyes, it is done brilliantly because you have characters that have had relationships with clones and they are fully fledged out. But from Anakin walking into the temple, slaughtering the younglings, which I love that choice, I love that scene, to the Order 66 and watching this go down, I'm bought in. I'm like, I can't believe we're going this dark with it. And yeah, I'm in. You want the better version of this play uh, Jedi Fallen Order? Yeah. Lucas gets one of two huge cheer moments of the movie. I remember seeing it in theaters when Yoda takes out the troops as they approach him on Kashyyyk. That is just a great moment. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of beheadings in the prequels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the last trilogy, we had a lot of disarmament. Here, we're seeing a lot of beheadings. You're right. I mean, that continues in this movie. Yeah, it does. Anakin goes to the Jedi Temple, and Lucas doesn't want to show us what happens. He cuts off the film just as Anakin lights a lightsaber in a room full of kids. And this kid's reaction is really funny because... Apparently, Christensen said boo, and he actually got that kid's genuine reaction. <laughs> That's fucking great. We're seeing Portman do a terrible fake cry. 
Oh my uh, god, this looks like when your kid is pretending to be sick to get out of school. As Lucas's son, Jet, gets a cameo in by taking out some troops and saving Jimmy Smits before he himself gets taken out. I should have loved that. Only they could have let Jimmy Smith do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I like seeing these early versions of the AT-ATs. You know, they're walking around with these lights. I think they look pretty cool. The helmets are getting closer to the storm. Yeah. But we're told Jimmy Smith's character is going to be instrumental to the rebellion. But there's very little in this movie, or the prequels for that matter, about people standing up to Palpatine. The stuff about the rebellion actually forming comes in so late. Yoda tells Chewbacca goodbye, and Chewie really looks like he's going to miss this little bastard. <laughs> we're seeing the Tanti 4 take off. I like seeing that ship back, and I, we're seeing it nice and clean. Mm-hmm. And all the pieces are being put in place for where we are going to see in the beginning of Episode 4. Kenobi makes his way back to a ship as Anakin makes his way back to Padme. Anakin tells Padme that his loyalties lie with the Chancellor and the Republic. Which is a false dichotomy. Padme should see through this. Yeah, she should not be so blinded by Jedi Cock that she can't understand what is going on here. And that is the big issue I have, Matt. I'm not having issues with the way Anakin is being manipulated. I'm having issues with how she cannot see this. No, we can't, because they go to the Senate hearing later on, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're happy the Jedi got slaughtered. (laughs) Because people are easily duped, because he says, oh, yeah, the Jedi tried to kill me. Even though they get their hands on security footage later on and could just play that at the fucking hearing. It's fake news. The Jedi planted fake news in the hollow recorders. Someone check Padme's emails. <laughs> I was expecting a right-handed salute to the sky myself. But... Oh, God, yeah. There might as well, when he raises his arms, Yes. not yeah. the flag should have come down. <laughs> we cut to the fire planet of Mustafar, and I have to say this is exactly as I had envisioned it when I first heard of how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Adam, you hit on this earlier. I remember reading those books. I remember hearing the interviews with Lucas say this is how Vader was going to be turned into Vader. It's getting close now, and I was feeling it, man. I was feeling the drama here. So you could yeah. say you were feeling the heat. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and for all my What's complaints a about single time? topography planets, I'm fine with a volcano planet. Yeah, same here. But man, like once you get out of that ship, how hot is it? <laughs> like, there's yeah, no fucking air. Robes. You're wearing all those robes. I know. <laughs> Anakin lands on the planet and takes out the Separatists. With R2 in tow, we're seeing Yoda fight again, and I love how he's not taking any shit. I love this move. Again, I did this on Battlefront a lot, where he jumps on a trooper and then penetrates him with a saber. This was fucking badass. Oh, yeah, he pressed uh, left bumper to throw his lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan and Yoda, they find out for themselves that even the younglings did not survive. You and McGregor cannot say the word younglings <laughs> to save his life. It's like Benedict Cumberbatch can't say the word penguins. Watch the Graham Norton show if you don't understand that reference. But like, I don't. And I love how it's great. And Yoda's like, oh yeah, they, they were killed by a lightsaber. And Obi Wan's like, how can you tell? Do you not see the giant fucking cauterized <laughs> slash on their chest? As all of this is going on, Chancellor Palpatine declares himself Emperor of the First Galactic Empire. And Padme says, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. To be memed forever. Yes. <laughs> this movie has so many memes. Between Hello There, my favorite clip, uh, The Attempt of My Life Has Left Me Scarred and Deformed. Blood. And it says, when you actually drink unsweetened tea versus sweet tea. <laughs> Obi-Wan then sees the surveillance footage of Vader taking out the younglings and getting new orders from Sidious. <laughs> this was fucking stupid. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say, I'm with a lot of this at the end of this movie, but the fact that this is recorded and he's seeing this, oh, bad idea. Yeah, and they don't use this to incriminate Palpatine. 
Well, I mean, do they know that's Palpatine? Yes, because he's. They show him swearing allegiance to Palpatine. It's his they show him swearing allegiance to Sidious, but Palpatine has the hoodie over. Can they tell it's him? Yes, because he shows up at the Senate with the hood on in his fucked up face. But Kenobi wasn't at that hearing. Yeah, but you give it, Yoda, give it to somebody. <laughs> Kenobi says that he cannot fight Anakin as they're like brothers, and Yoda says that he will take out Palpatine and that Obi-Wan must take on his apprentice. Because I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's the theme of this podcast. Yoda's a fucking Yoda, dick. Because Yoda would have killed him in about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And he would not have hesitated. Yoda would have, I think Yoda would have beheaded Anakin, no questions asked. But then again, it, it Palpatine would have thing. taken out Obi-Wan. So I, yeah. I kind of see his reasoning. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon left Anakin's mother as a slave. So Yoda failed Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon failed Obi. Obi fails Anakin. It all goes back to Yoda. <laughs> Obi-Wan goes to Padme, who won't give up Anakin's location. And this is when I get perhaps my favorite piece of music in this entire trilogy of scores. I love the tragedy that Williams is playing up here. And the shot of Anakin crying a tear due to what he's done to these separatists gets me every time. And I'll freely admit that that is solely due to William's score manipulating me. But I, I like this a lot. Yeah, oh, I'm going to feel bad that I just murdered all these people that we've been fighting for the last decade plus. But not the fact that I slaughtered children. Why? He, I think he's thinking about that too, though. I don't think he is. <laughs> and if he was, we really should have seen him show more resistance to doing that. And this is my favorite, has both Ewan's best moment in the movies, when he says, Anakin's the father, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. It's a great line. And then his worst delivery, where he says, I have seen security of him killing younglings. And he puts his hand over his mouth because he's about to laugh. And this is where Obi-Wan's a dick, too, because she's like, you're going to kill him. He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> I He's like, yeah, he's become a pretty strong threat. What he should have said was, from a certain point of view. Lucas has really written this as a real Shakespearean tragedy, and it would come off so much better if it weren't for the few acting and directing decisions made in this final half hour, man. I think a lot of what is done here, again, just could have been so much better. You know, we have all the pieces, we're just not putting them together. Let me ask the question, would this have been better if Spielberg directed it? I believe so. In fact, I think Spielberg, Spielberg did direct a few scenes of this, actually. He directed some of the Grievous fight, and uh, I think he mapped out a lot of the final fight. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I do think Spielberg could have played this emotion up and played it well. But the difference between Lucas and Shakespeare, Shakespeare knew how to write. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Spielberg could have got a better performance. I'd love, and I'll say that, I'd love that scene with Ewan when he... Well, I can't believe he didn't realize who the father was before then the force should make this clear i think it's a great choice to have their apartment condo whatever it is overlook the jedi temple Mm -hmm. because when she's watching it burn and knows what's going on am i being pulled by the music fuck yeah i am but i'm being pulled by the music of the best in the business the best that there is so i'm okay with that because i feel that emotion of her being torn apart by what's going on as much as hayden can't sell it i do think that the directives of, yeah, showing his face, showing the, the way that it's split, going back and forth. But I'm into this last half, so I am I am okay getting pulled in with it. The manipulation that they do to make me feel pulled in, I'm letting them do so. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sedu- seduce me to the dark side because I want to go down this path. I want this is what we've been path. waiting for. This is what we've yeah. been waiting two and a half movies for. Fucking lay it on me. Yeah. I came here for the tragedy, so I'm asking them to pull me into it. I'm much more willing to say, yes, hurt me, Daddy, hurt me. It took me harder. <laughs> Padme and Obi-Wan, they land on Mustafar, and Padme asks for the truth on whether or not Anakin killed younglings. I like the scene on the surface, but then we get the delivery of, Anakin, you're breaking my heart. 
And even the way she falls, this is just really bad high school acting. Yeah, he also doesn't give her a definitive answer of, yeah, I, I betrayed the Jedi. And, and this is, yeah, th- this acting is really bad. The dialogue is bad. You turned her against me. You won't take yeah. her from me. It's so painful. And this should be the moment where Obi-Wan is, like, brought to tears. Because ultimately, Anakin's downfall should be Obi-Wan's to bear. It's his yeah. failure. It's, yeah. and it's, it should be his disappointment that I did not do what the one thing Qui-Gon wanted me to do. I ultimately failed at. But instead, it's dampened by the shitty dialogue, and there's no more pathos. And Obi-Wan says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. He turns on a dime, is like, oh, you are too far gone for me to try to save you. Only a Sith deals in absolutes, but do or do not. There is no try. Anakin then reaches and force chokes her when he is stopped by Obi-Wan. Anakin and Obi-Wan gear up for battle, and Kenobi says that Anakin has become what he swore to destroy. Obi-Wan decides that he will do what he must. Now, these two worked really super hard on this fight, and it definitely shows. On the surface, it's a well-executed fight, but there are times, like when they pause to do like six or seven sword moves in a row in the air (laughs) before they start fighting in, that it just seems too choreographed. Yeah, this one's definitely overly choreographed, and I think it's too long. I know this is what this trilogy has been building to, but... There's too many moments where it doesn't feel like an actual fight. It feels like a showcase of acrobatics. And, uh, and effects, because they get on machinery over fucking lava. It look, It's the best when, like, he chokes him at one point, and yeah. he throws a drop kick. There's a part where they punch each other. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like an actual, like, come to like blows. A, a fist fight, yeah. Yeah, but then it, it gets replaced by just the lightsaber pornography. The first one, Phantom S, that fight, it feels like they're trying to actually hurt the other person. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like they're insisting to cross the streams, and that's all they're aiming for after a certain point. I like the fight, though, but it's it's the emotion behind it. This is what I've come for, and there's moments where, yeah, to both your points, it's like, are they literally just waving their lightsabers in front of each other here for a minute? <laughs> what, the, what the fuck yeah. is this? But when they're actually going at it, and yeah, when they're physically hitting each other, not with their sabers, but with fists, with kicks. It just makes it feel that much more... <sighs> Textile's not the right word, but it just it feels like a fight I'm absolutely here for. So the physicality behind it, yes. Is it long? Yeah, it's, it's a very long fight. But I'm not surprised, being that this was the final Star Wars, that this is what we were going to have, is a massive final lightsaber fight. We get the other get-up-and-cheer moment that I experienced in the theater when Yoda walks into this room Sidious is in and takes out both these red guards on either side of him. <laughs> oh, it was so great. I laughed so hard. But uh, pardon the pun. There's so little force that they get knocked out because of that. That's the point of it. That's what's so great about it to me. Like, who under- cares about fucking physics? Like, comes to Star Wars. I care because if you were going to have Yoda whip out a lightsaber, it should have been here, not in the previous movie. And I don't like that him and Palpatine have a lightsaber fight. These guys are so powerful in the force. They should kind of be above that. And it's fucking comical when he blasts him across the room. And so obviously the stunt double that flips in the chair. But I also know neither of these guys are going to hurt the other one. That's the issue is you know both of them are walking away. It's a good... I like the fight. I like seeing it in the Senate chamber, knowing that this is the fall of the Senate. Even though I guess the Senate goes on for, what, 20 more years because we get told in... (laughs) We get told in A New Hope that he just dissolved the Senate, but I do think it is fitting in this film that we have the fight between these two in this Senate chamber. 
Yeah. And by the way, going back to when Yoda walked in, supposedly Ewan McGregor was one of those guards. Because he was like you, Adam. He was a huge fan of those red guards growing up. He wanted to be in that costume really bad. Dude, I, I, my, my theater like erupted in laughter. <laughs> so did I. It was great. I felt betrayed. <laughs> I waited for those guys to do something cool. And I'll go back to my Crimson comic book. <laughs> I will now, say this is the only time I enjoyed McDermott's hamminess. Okay, yeah, let's get let's get to that. So now in the lead up to this movie, I have to say I was not expecting these two to fight. But you guys are saying we're not seeing consequences between them. I don't care. I like this fight. I like how Yoda takes some force lightning and they go to the Senate room to finally destroy that boring asset and they make it exciting for once. And Matt, you're finally liking how McDermott's camping it up. Me too. Even calling out that Yoda's green. We've never had a character call out that Yoda's green. The green lightsaber mixes with the red, same as Return of the Jedi. This may be my second favorite fight of the entire prequel trilogy. I adore this fight. So Yoda takes a really bad fall here. Yeah, he's like, oh, I have to go into exile now. Well, he takes a really bad fall and he has his fingernails on this freaking... That um, sound. I can still hear that sound. Yes. Freaking nail sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bert, you bastard. And he counts his losses and leaves. Meanwhile, the- I'm a given <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the emotion of the Obi-Wan Vader fight is turned up as the temperaments match the hotness that is their surroundings. Yoda gets saved by Jimmy Smith and proclaims that he has failed, and now he must go into exile. <laughs> okay. Look. Jimmy should be like, what the? Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, like, we need you. <laughs> Lucas did say he did include a scene of Yoda going to Dagobah, but he edited it out. Uh, why before would you take it was that shithole? <laughs> you think he's going to exile on a nice planet, like, I don't know. Naboo? Yeah, go somewhere tropical or, yeah. or, or a temperate climate. Not, I guess he <laughs> wanted to be roommates with Kermit the Frog. I was going to say, he's a fucking frog, dude. He fucking wants to go to where the swamp is. I don't blame him. He was friends with the Wookiees. Go back to Kashyyyk. <laughs> there you go. Live there under, sanctu- under sanctuary. Hang out with Chewbacca. Yeah, tree or just go to Tatooine because apparently you go to Tatooine and the Sith will never look for you. <laughs> Please don't go oh. to Tatooine. <laughs> don't go to Tatooine. <laughs> we don't get it to the very end here. <sighs> Obi Wan and Anakin they fight on little platforms above lava, and Anakin says that this is the end for you. More fighting ensues as Obi Wan takes the high ground, but. Anakin's arrogance gets the best of him as he tries to attack. Obi-Wan puts an end to it by slicing not only his arm, but his entire body. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he chopped his dick off. There's no no way around that. And the whole high ground thing is stupid. It's really bad. Because Darth Maul had the high ground. This is ruined by Obi-Wan just yelling stuff at him. As he's burning. Dude, I was feeling that emotion. I I think it ruins the scene. I don't. There would have been a lot more power if he just watched and walked away. All right, you're getting burned up. You're just going to remain silent as you burn? I'm not talking about Anakin. I'm talking about Obi-Wan. Oh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan should say nothing. Dude, I don't... See, I don't agree with that. This fucking kid betrayed him, and he betrayed the Republic. I sense the emotion that Obi-Wan's going through here, and you see the emotion that he's going to feel when he tells Luke this story years later. We have to feel this. I am not with you on that. He doesn't show that emotion in A New Hope. In fact, he lies to Luke's face. (laughs) No, but he tells him that he was his apprentice before he betrayed him. Now, he said he betrayed and murdered his father, but still, he was really affected by this, and we have to see that. Everything Obi-Wan had to say, he said before they came to blows. He did not have a chance to exert his emotions, and this is his chance to do it. And he's not even fucking trying to help him because he just feels betrayed, and I feel the emotion of it. And because it's a prequel, he doesn't just murder him like he should. Well, how was he going to expect fucking Palpatine to come pick him up? 
he wasn't expecting that. He thought he was going to die right here burning up. Put him out of his fucking misery and just stab him in the head. But no, it's a prequel, so you have to leave him alive. Oh, my God. It's not just the fact that it's a prequel, dude. It's the fact that Palpatine has to come make him into Vader. Adam, be the tiebreaker here. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, leading up to it, I can't believe how bad Hayden Christensen's deliveries are (laughs) leading up to the... my master, I am reading off a cue card, I think, because I have contacts in, and I can't see, master. It. Oh, my God. Hayden Christensen gets some of his worst deliveries. I mean, some of his deliveries are worse than Jake Lloyd while he's standing here on his lava flow. The final scene with Barbecue, Anakin, and Obi-Wan, it brings chills. The whole, you are my brother, I loved you, I get the emotion out of that. And it hits, it still hits me to this day. I feel that from Obi-Wan, and it burned into my soul like Anakin. <laughs> that entire finale, I am I am all for. He knows he doesn't like sand, but he leaves him on a sandy beach to die. <laughs> he wasn't there for that conversation. I'm sure. You know what? It's like when uh, when you have that friend who keeps telling you that they're a vegetarian. He, I, he walks around. He puts it into conversation. You know how much I don't like sand. <laughs> I like the what if version in the video game where Anakin kills him, and then yeah, when, yeah. when Palpatine shows up, Anakin murders him too. He murders him. Yeah. Mm. We didn't get an insert shot that Lucas <laughs> Lucas had to do because <laughs> when he was getting ready to put a lock on the edit, he realized that he never had a shot of Obi Wan picking up the lightsaber that he would eventually have to give to Luke. <laughs> Assuming that's the actual lightsaber, he might have. For all we know, I'm telling you, it's a fake. <laughs> Anakin is just struggling as he's burning up and he's yelling how he hates Obi Wan, and Obi Wan's saying that he's failed Anakin as a teacher and that he was his brother. But that doesn't make him want to save him, and Obi Wan leaves Anakin to die. We see Anakin reach and pull himself out of the lava as Palpatine arrives in an amateur version of the ship that we'll see refined in the original trilogy and pulls him to safety. Adam, I love seeing that ship, dude, that we really complimented when we did that last trilogy. I like how we're seeing the beginning stages of that ship. Yeah, and this is, I've complimented it throughout all three of these. Is I like that we get ships that feel like they are the natural precursor to the ships we get. Save that for a later trilogy where it feels like nothing changes in 20 years, but in this one, it feels like, yeah, we know where this is going to go. And it feels like they took maybe early Ralph McQuarrie drawings and said, yeah, let's go with that. And I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We then get the very on the nose burst of three people. <laughs> as <laughs> Lucas is cutting between the birth of Darth Vader and the twins. Oh, All right. Uh... <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Padme's death. Now, she dies supposedly after giving birth to these twins. Now, Adam, I heard a theory, and tell me if you've also heard this. The theory is she didn't die naturally, as Obi-Wan is told that medically she's fine. This is actually Palpatine using the teachings of his old mentor to take away her will to live, because he knows that her death will make Vader into the most powerful force of the galaxy. Have you heard that? Not only have I heard that, that's how I took this the first time I saw it. So when I'm seeing this in a theater, it is apparent to me that he is sucking the life force from Padme to keep Anakin alive. I never had a question of that. So I didn't have the issues of some people being like, oh, she died of a broken heart. Because I saw this, especially with the conversation that we had in the Final Fantasy opera, that he knows how to keep somebody alive. So that's exactly how I took this. And to me, it makes it even more tragic that the mm-hmm. only reason Anakin survives is because Padme was killed to bring him to life. Matt, did Christian ever tell you that? I've heard it, but as it stands, that line, she has lost the will to live. That's so... Just have Anakin choke her to the point where she passes out and they do a C-section and she dies in a coma. 
so it still feels like he was directly responsible. It's like Yoda. Oh, I'm tired. I'm gonna I'm gonna die now. It's that same. It's that same <laughs> thing the Jedi. It's like, oh, quick, we're running out of movie. Name him, Luke, Leia. Okay, where those names come from? <laughs> now, as the suit is being put on, Anakin is crying out in pain as this weird form of surgery while putting him back together is taking place. Such a monumental moment for me, and I have to say, when that helmet slips on and we hear him oh. breathe through that mask for the first time, and Christensen does perhaps the best acting of his time in this series as he looks up and he sees that mask coming down on him and his eyes get wide. Oh my God, just sends fucking chills, and we see the steam rise from his mouthpiece. This is fucking great. Uh, huge fan. Uh, I adore the scene of him getting put. I don't feel like Lucas filmed this scene because it doesn't seem like anything he has ever filmed before. Maybe he did, and if so, props to him because just watching Vader get built with the droids, I think it's fantastic. But that shot of that helmet coming down is fantastic. It is an amazing scene when the score drops away and you just get the breath for the first time. It's just, oh, this, yes, perfect. You could cut right there and we God, I wish he would have in amazing shape you know and I just love the, like the really 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 subtle Imperial March being played as it's coming down too just mm-hmm. uh. yeah and it's Matt? slightly different key slightly slowed down mm-hmm. yeah for the moment that these movies have been building to it absolutely works I love the hissing sound as mm-hmm. the, the front part of the mask closes yeah symbolizing the last part of his humanity leaving his body I honestly wish this is all I needed to see of Vader. Mm-hmm. Yep. Independent of what they do after, I think this was enough. Uh, oh, the my. fact that they had this, for a Star Wars movie, painful to watch him being surgically altered, because, you know, they're sticking needles in his burned mm-hmm. flesh. Everything that needed to be shown was on full display here. Another just cheering moment. All of us in that theater were just clapping at this. At the same time this is going on, we're seeing Luke and Leia being born, and... Apparently, Padme had names with whether it was a boy or a girl, so she just pulled both of them out for these two twins. But all the compliments I gave the previous scene of Vader being put together is negated by Lucas once again playing up Shakespearean tragedy tropes as Palpatine tells Anakin that Padme has died. Again, further implicating that he was the one responsible. And instead of letting that settle, Lucas has him look to the heavens and then has James Earl Jones do an impression of what we talked about, Matt, when he did the roaring of a leopard in Exorcist 2 by yelling, no, to the heavens. (sighs) It's the worst moment in all the prequels. It's that bad. I don't think there's any defense of it either. And they do the frickin' Frankenstein shit with him walking. It's so bad. There's no way to get around it. You had, in the first place. you had even people who were just completely ripping the previous prequels. You know what? If it comes to Vader being built like this and him breathing the way he did and us seeing him built, perfect. And then, of course, when we see him at the end, I think that's a pretty decent shot, too. But this just completely gets all those people who hated these prequels to say, oh, yeah, Lucas can't even do this right. It's horrific. You just completely pissed all over the scene that was just filmed, everything that we complimented it for, and you just threw it into that dumpster fire back on Mustafar. Like, I I cannot believe that this was left in. I don't like the, you killed her, my friend. I don't like it, but I could have lived with that as well and still cut it. I don't need James Earl Jones' voice here, but I could have accepted it, cut it. But to finish with this just joke of a moment the only thing that's worse is that he went back and retroactively added it to fucking return of the jedi yeah which we talked about dude it's horrible it's it's absolutely horrible you know what killing younglings is more acceptable than the finale that they give with vader here (sighs) 
it's times like this where I really miss someone like Gary Kurtz being by his side. Because yeah. Gary Kurtz would not have fucking tolerated this. But yet, he's got this Rick McCallum who says, yes, George, we'll do it. Yes, George. Yes, George. Yes, George. Fucking put that tragedy in. The audience is going to love it. He needed somebody to tell him no in a scene like this, the way Vader says it to the fucking screen. Should I leave this scene in? No! Yeah, exactly. Like, read the comment cards on your test screening. Because I, yeah. I can guarantee this got some comments. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lucas had his own Steve Bannon with Gary Kurtz, or uh, with uh, Rick McCallum. Rick McCallum. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned earlier, this was going to be just a tall dude that Lucas was going to hire, but Christian said, insisted on being in that suit. And you know what? Honestly, I don't Good blame him. him. Good for him. Yeah, he's living he a earned, dream here. He earned it. Yeah. So Lucas put lifts in his shoes, and honestly, I don't think he looks bad. Again, it's what Lucas writes for him that has me baffled, but I'm glad that Christensen was able to live this dream. Yoda says that the children must be hidden. And Williams inserts the themes of both Luke and Leia as we're hearing where they're going to go. We then hear that Yoda has some training all set for Obi-Wan as Qui-Gon has relearned how to be a Force ghost. And Obi-Wan will learn this ability while on Tatooine. You don't like that? See, I like that. I don't. I, no. You know what, though? I, I didn't like Qui-Gon whatsoever. So yeah, that's true. You to have an insert, and you know what? Watch Obi-Wan. I really don't like the end of that either. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to send you into exile, but I'm still going to give you training to do. It's like, why don't you two just hang out together? <laughs> and it, uh, They needed a better explanation to send Luke to Tatooine. It makes no sense why you would send him to his family. Yep, the Empire's going to look for him. Well, let's go send him to his family then. They won't look there. <laughs> Especially because you, you purposely split Leia where nobody would look for her. We see the droids being put in the care of Captain Atiles, who will eventually wipe 3PO's memory clean. <laughs> about as clean as he looks like he looks very very clean here this i'm happy I'm, it's, yeah, it's a wedge cameo this is the type of if you don't know who captain antilles is this mm-hmm. goes over your head for yeah. somebody like me that read rogue squadron Wraith squadron and all those type of uh, yeah this, this is good stuff this is how you do a cameo we then see jar jar's other appearance in the film that of padme's funeral and we see that she still has a snippet in her possession is that what that is yeah that's the that's what he gave her at the in episode one the mm-hmm. chapur snippet Yep. Oh, because these movies are, as we'll talk about, they put a lot of emphasis on objects that I don't give a shit about between this <laughs> fucking dice. <laughs> oh, God. Dice. Oh, God. It's like a fucking harbinger of things to come, too. <laughs> we then cut to a Star Destroyer as the Emperor Invader with a cameo appearance by an actor who, frankly, does a great Tarkin impression. <laughs> Shows up. God, I wish they would have gone this route when yeah, we get like, to a couple films later. It's prosthetics. But still, yep. like the, just the way he walks up to them and he nods to them and he walks away. You know exactly uh, who it is without them having to call it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when Star Wars used to know how to do that? Yeah. <laughs> but that's like the only instance, though, throughout these prequels. C-3PO, mm-hmm. R2-D2, Chewbacca, they're all like called out. At least this one, it's subtle enough to but recognizable enough to where you can put the pieces together. Yep. We're witnessing the beginnings of the Death Star's construction. Another scene that just gives me chills as we see Vader just kind of cross his arms and the Emperor looking uh, out. And for the record, I'm going to say this now. This is all I needed to see about yes. building a Death Star. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the way you leave Vader, not him yelling no to the heavens. We see Stork Obi-Wan drop off the babies and the Tatooine sunset bear down on Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. 
and credits roll on Star Wars Episode Three: The Revenge of the Sith. And by the way, that was the very first scene they filmed for this, way back when they were still working on Attack of the Clones, actually. It's funny you mentioned Attack of the Clones, because that's really what this movie should have been called. Because I, I was reading this thing where all nine of the movies the wrong have, names. The, have the wrong title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, episode one should have been called The Rise of Skywalker, because that's literally what it is. Episode two should have been Revenge of the Sith. Episode three should have been Attack of the Clones. All right, that does it for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, a much more animated discussion than I was expecting. <laughs> Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Revenge of the Sith? Adam. And, and if you want an animated discussion, go watch the animated stuff, people. I'll leave it there, but just <laughs> do, do, do yourself a favor. Go. I'm not saying all the Clone Wars is good, but look out. Well, <laughs> do, do a Google search. They'll let you know which arcs to, to watch, and you'll be satisfied. And we'll have an animated discussion next time. <laughs> yes. There was... This is the movie that I was let down so much leading up to. Going into the trilogy, you know when I was going to get here. When I was, I don't want to say a kid, but definitely a youngerling than I am now, I was excited for Phantom Menace knowing I was going to get to this point. But Phantom Menace, and, okay, I got to say, got caught up and a little excited in our discussion. I felt like I did back when I was, what was I, 18, 19? Really, that movie's a six. I gave it a seven. Whatever. It's a six. Uh, <laughs> But Attack of the Clones let me down so much that when I walked into this, I was like, well, I know what we're going to get. I want to get there, but I was pretty subdued. The opening, it's a fun, energetic time to get you in the feel of a war, and it drops off from the rest of the film. This film is so choppy and so broken. It's up. It's, it's strange. But at the end of the day, I like where we get to. I like the fall of Anakin. However, I mean, you want to talk about the duality here, but I hate the way that it's done. I like the fall of the Jedi but I can't stand the way that the masters go down. Everything is a give and a take in this film. But at the end of the day, and we discussed it, once we get towards the end, once Mace goes out the window, I hate the way that Hayden plays his part to become Darth Vader, but once he is, I like the way this movie goes. It just sucks i got to wait an hour and a half to get there. But the assault on the Jedi Temple, the killing of the younglings, the battle of Mustafar, the score throughout most of this film is pretty damn fantastic. Ewan McGregor might as well just rename that character Atlas because he is carrying the acting duties of everybody on his freaking shoulders throughout this entire trilogy. Uh, he does a very good job. I like Padme in this. I think Natalie Portman does a good job. I think she's given crap to do, but I think that she does a good job with it. I think she's better here than the first two. I know I'm off on my Mustafar Island on that one. The ending of this ends so much that it lifts the rest of the movie for me. Like, that emotional beat still resonates. The two friends, the two brothers, having that battle and having that loss, it sits there. I feel that emotion. That's what I've wanted. And so, even though I recognize, we talked about deficiencies this film has, the areas where it hits rise above and help the overall for me so much more than it should. But I can at least admit that. They went on, as we said, 30 seconds too long with Vader. That's a fucking shame. The ending beat of finishing with the score, Two Sons, again, ends this movie with goosebumps on my skin because I absolutely love that score from Williams. So in a duality movie where it goes back and forth so much, in the end of any movie that I'm going to watch of this prequel trilogy, it's going to be this one. 
and I suffer through the first hour, hour and a half to get to the f- finale. But once I get to the end, I am, am a big fan of the way this thing ends. This movie's a seven. It's a good seven for me. I guess we'll rank them all later, you know, once we get through the sequel trilogy and everything else. But yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a solid movie, even with its deficits. Could have been better, but I think it finishes as a high point of the prequels. Seven from Adam. Goudreau? I'm going to use a line to describe my feelings that Obi-Wan has in A New Hope. He's more machine now than man. A lot of this movie feels like it was put through an AI machine that was being put in the setting of express delivery and having the script done. Because for the conclusion and the culmination, everything still feels really rushed while also feeling half-baked. Like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. There are good things in this. But I've said the same thing about the previous two movies. And that's where I come at a crossroads where... I don't understand why this one is considered the best of the prequels. In fact, I think it's it's on par with Attack of the Clones, and my score is going to reflect that. So I sort of feel about all the prequels universally on the same level. There's good in them. Much like Padme says, there's still good in them. But ultimately, it's the execution, and it's the deficiencies of Lucas as a director, not a storyteller, a director are on full display, and I think there are detrimental flaws in all these movies. And this one, it's really Christensen and Portman, by extension, being both terrible and shackled by a script that does not convey the tragedy that this movie is so desperately trying to evoke. So, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but i got to call it like I see it. I think this is the weakest of the prequels. From a production level, it's on par, but that also applies to the writing. And the thing that damns it for me, it takes itself way too seriously. I get they have to do that because of where this movie needs to end and the beats that need to happen, but it can't live up to those expectations. So I'm going to land on a four on ten for Revenge of the Sith. What'd you give Clones? Four. You give a four. Okay. So this is a lower four than last week? Yeah. If Attack of the Clones is like a solid four, this is like a, a lower four. Wow. It's hard for me, for the record, if I'm going to give one of these movies lower than a four, I have to have a really strong reason for doing so. I may later on down the road. You know, it's amazing, Matt, because you and my brother are the exact same age, and this is his favorite Star Wars film. And I am almost lockstep with Adam. I feel this is the best of the prequel trilogy, and I think the reason is because me and Adam grew up with that trilogy and we saw this character as he was, not as he became. In the previous one, it was so hard to see this really bad performing actor in the same suit that we saw in that previous trilogy. But in watching this movie and with Lucas playing up that emotion and me actually feeling that emotion, I can see it now. That being said, I have mentioned a hell of a lot of problems with this movie. There are a hell of a lot of issues. The acting hasn't gotten any better, except for McGregor. I think McGregor is about as relaxed as he's ever been. Christensen, as I mentioned, is a little better, but that's only because it kind of at least in the beginning stages, feels more natural. I feel Portman is just so checked out at this point. She had Closer coming up. She had V for Vendetta the same year. She was kind of checked out of this movie. That's the only place, Adam, where you and I just can't agree. I just cannot go with her performance here. But like Adam, I I think Williams does a lot of the work for Lucas in that the final 15 minutes to a half hour of this movie is so operatic that I feel that emotion and I 
feel him turning into Darth Vader. But as soon as Lucas does something as grandiose as having us see him breathe through that mask for the very first time, he negates it by just making him into, as Matt called it, a Frankenstein monster walking around killing droids instead of leaving him as the most fearsome villain in the galaxy. So that negates it. There are so many things that negate this movie, but I gave Phantom Menace a six- I have to go seven with this just because I was so with the emotion of it. But I still look at this movie and I think as good as he concluded this trilogy, it could have been so much better. But this one still lands at a seven for me. Now we're going to be taking a break from the galaxy far, far away. I thought this was going to be the last movie forever, but we're going to come back to it. Eventually, we're going to get to the Clone Wars and then we're going to get to the Disney trilogy. And I believe... Slash spinoff. The Disney era. The Disney era. But that that Matt, that's gonna lead into the next year, correct? Yep. We'll have some other stuff in the interim. And hopefully people listen to our Halloween retrospective, our Exorcist series, which I've been waiting to do forever. More things coming up in the next year. Boys, thank you for joining me and going through a galaxy far, far away. Until next week, gentlemen, we have just executed Podcast sixty six. However, it may turn out just to be a wild panther chase. Master, I've disappointed you. I haven't been very appreciative of your training. I've been arrogant, and I apologize. I've just been so frustrated with the Council. You are strong and wise, Anakin, and I am very proud of you. I have trained you since you were a small boy. I have taught you everything I know. And you have become a far greater Jedi than I could ever hope to be. But be patient, Anakin. It will not be long before the Council makes you a Jedi Master. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. <laughs> Time to abandon ship. Please join us next week for an entirely new review. What have I done? And if you would be so kind, please take a moment to give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? It truly helps others to find and discover these podcasts. to let go of everything you fear to lose. And if you like this podcast, please head over to percolatedmedia.net or search your podcast stream of choice for some of our blockbuster retrospectives such as Avatar, Top Gun, the films of Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, Pirates of the Caribbean, 
and many more. We're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. With all due respect, Master, is he not the chosen one? The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is edited by Garrett. Good relations with the Wookiees, I have. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is voice narrated by Adam. Drop your weapon. I said drop them. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. The Chancellor is not a bad man, Obi-Wan. He befriended me. He's watched out for me ever since I arrived here. That is why you must help us. Anakin, our allegiance is to the Senate, not to its leader, who has managed to stay in office long after his term has expired. The Senate demanded that he stay longer. Yes, but use your feelings, Anakin. Something is out of place. We must leave before more security droids arrive. Although, like Matt says, I mean, if you watch the Clone Wars, you would know this, but I had no idea, and I, I was finding this pretty fun. I remember... I, Sorry. I clearly remember... It's like the battle in Blade 2, when he's fighting the Death Stalkers, like, and it's all... The lights get turned off, and it looks like a video game. Well, the only difference is there's no pro wrestling references in this movie. Like, <laughs> like at least in Blade Two, he gives a vampire a suplex at one point. I can't <laughs> wait to get to that movie. God, Matt, will you put Blade on the schedule, please? No, Blade is on the schedule because okay. we, we have we have Marvel stuff. Yeah, we do. <sighs> to be continued in 2024. Yeah, and again, new movie <laughs> will come out. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. I guess happen. when Lucas directs another movie. That, that's Anakin, not happen. I'm it, calling it. Mark Dolly's leaving. And why does the um? Why does the why do the separatists have gremlin bots? 
we cut to Grievous flying to flying to what is it? Utopo? Utopo? Utopo. Okay. We cut to Grievous flying to Utopo. Sidious suggests that they move the Separatists to Mustafar and says that the end of the war is near. Anakin well, and Pat. Sorry, go big, ahead. Big pop for those that had known. While this meeting is taking place, we're hearing that Yoda is going to get the rookies to join the war. Because rookies. it. Yeah, my, <laughs> my iPod. Put down rookies. You said the rookies. I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna send the younglings into battle. Yeah. <laughs> as I was Hold typing, I guess. <laughs> as I was typing, I guess I corrected it to rookies. Let me go back. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Hold on to your butts. Yeah. <laughs> While this meeting is taking place, we then hear Padme ask the question of whether or not the democracy they've been promised even exists. We get no. cut. To, go ahead. No, no, it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. I already, I already have so many fucking bloopers in this episode. Yeah, and supposedly they pulled a lot from the <laughs> holiday special, which I keep trying to get these guys to fucking review with me. Where's Mala? Yeah, they, yeah, they did pulled... This, did this take place on Life Day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, which they celebrate in Disney now. <laughs> Do they really? Yeah, they have a Life Day, um, they have Life Day, well, they sell Life Day memorabilia on Life Day at Galaxy's Edge. That's adorable. Matt, how do you feel about this? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, they have that glowing orb, they have the robes. That's funny. Matt, how do you feel about this battle? We get to a chase between the two where Obi-Wan loses his lightsaber. Okay, you know what? I'm going to, because Matt, I know, and Christian have recently gone through all the episodes of South Park. Tell me that he's not writing the it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <he> is. <laughs> oh, fuck. Meanwhile, Sorry, Anakin, you know, you're fine. You know, but... You're That's fine. Cut, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Anakin informs... 